Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Lederman Duan, who will be sitting in for Matt Watson today. Lederman, what's up? Well, thank you so much for the invitation. Just glad to be here. Yeah, we're going to we're going to tell an interesting story involving many countries, many nations. Um I see here on my notes as well that you speak English, Spanish, Italian and Portuguese. That's right. That's right. So, I uh, would it be possible for you to say hello startup uh, hello startup hustle listeners in one of those languages so we can prove that this is true the startup heart is probably a, ah. yeah cuz it's one of those that i don't even know what do we in spanish is my first language and i have to think about what do we call startups that's a good point uh, you know a compañía maybe but uh, pequeña Empresa, yeah, pequeña empresa is what we call it. And Portuguese, Portuguese would be, uh, Italian would be a, a pickle empresa. So uh, I, I, assuming that that's, that's the term terminology they use in uh, pequeña, well, I'll let pequeña you, compañía. I'll let, you, I'll let you think about uh, it. And, 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 and if at any point you want to drop some, uh, any of those languages on us. So yeah. uh, Lederman, you're the, the founder of Bluepoint2. Yes. And you guys do med- you have a lot of medical system solutions, um, I believe that largely related to technical solutions and different stuff like that, uh, uh, document transfer. And that's some of the stuff we want to talk about. But you were recommended because one of our former Startup Hustle guests and friends, Donald Hawkins, has told us that you have quite the story. <laughs> of entrepreneurship, um, including, you know, like, I would just say, you know, it's probably best told by you, but I mean, what hey, you've been, you've lived in many countries, but I believe we're going to start in Venezuela, right? Yeah. right? yeah, I guess we can start with Venezuela and yeah, Don is, is, is an unbelievable guy. He, he and I are become, you know, really good friends. We're part of a pipeline entrepreneurship. Yeah. So we're in the fellowship program this year. And, uh, you know, as we get together and we talk and, and talk about our businesses and, and personal matters, um, I think he's, he's taken a, quite of an interest in, in, in my kind of uh, beginnings probably. But um, and it's awesome guy and awesome program, by the way, Pipeline Entrepreneurship. But um, so, yeah, I, I think the story that he refers to part of it is probably how I became an entrepreneur. I think I was probably 13, 14 when it started with a orange uh, orange juice stand in one of the plazas, you know, one of the squares in the city. And this is in Venezuela? In Venezuela, in okay. a small town called Acarigua. It's in the middle of the country. It's farm town. And it's a town that uh, is two little towns together, about uh, you know, two to 300,000 people. So not too little, but you know, it's big enough. Yeah, yeah. big enough. So um, here you are, you're 13, and you have a you, an orange juice. Is that yes, what you said? Okay. Yes. So we notice, first of all, you know, Venezuela tropical weather is hot, mm-hmm. and we see these orange juices popping up all over. You know, but people would just go and typically, you know, open or do their orange juice stand in a on a shade in a in a 
you know, kind of driving the traffic to you. And then we realized that why don't we just put it right in front of the bus stations when everybody's getting out of the bus and, you know, they're super hot and, and, uh, but that required for us to be there, right? On the hot spot too, right? So we did that over one summer. Um, so, you know, didn't have a school. So what do we do? Let's go ahead and, and, and do this. So we started doing that and uh, it grew fast. All of a sudden, you know, we have multiple around city and, uh, and, and uh, we, we were facing the challenges of being entrepreneurs at the end of the age of 13, 14. You know, how do you manage people? You hire people. You make sure they don't steal from you and just you add more water to the juice and stuff like that. And you build the tables because you need to save money. So you got to build it on your own and you got to wake up at 5 a.m. and, you know, in the, in the summer uh, day just to go and get all the oranges because they got to be fresh. And, you know, so so we learned a lot. Then we went back to school, right? And we now had employees and we had things to take care of, you know, wake so, up. Early. So here you are, you're going back to school, you're 14, which is when most people go to high school. Yeah. And you guys have employees now. Yeah. Okay. With a whole bunch of orange juice stands all over. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was, it was a lot of fun and, but we had to wake up early, right. And really early before school, school started, I think it was about around seven fifteen, something like that. So. A four thirty or five o'clock, just getting the oranges and getting everything set up and driving around town with all the tables and all the stuff and dropping it off and making sure people would show up, right? And and if they didn't, then what was the plan, right? Because we had to go to school. Um, so we had to work through that, right? And then we would go back to school and then right after school we had to go collect money and, you know, make sure people were still there and uh Stuff like that. So, so that brought a lot of uh, interesting challenges. Um, the, the other thing that we did at high school, which uh, Donald thinks is super um, funny, is that we sold condoms. Okay. So, so my friend and I, we bought a, a huge box of condoms from a distributor. Somehow, we I, I don't even remember how we got in touch with this guy. And we just bought everything that he had. You know, like we'll, we'll buy the whole the whole, you know, container of condoms or not a container, but, you know, boxes of condoms. And then we did that. We bought it. We bought them. And then we're like, okay, we're going to sell it to our friends, right? So we're in high school, right? So we started talking to all the guys. Hey, guys, you know, we, we have condoms. And nobody wanted to buy the condoms. <laughs> I mean, no friend wanted to buy condoms. I'm like, what the heck? We, we, we know you need them. But they they, <laughs> they didn't want to, right? So... So we had to change the strategy. How do we do this? How do we, you know, they were, we had to figure out why don't they want to buy them? And well, probably they're afraid, probably they're, you know, it's, it's a little, you know, they, they don't want to admit anything to anything with, um, you know, to whomever, right? Or they don't want us to talk about it or whatever it was. So we said, well, what if we talk to the girls? You know, we know who the girlfriends are. So what if we just talk to the girls and let them know that we're sell selling condoms and that's all we need to do. Let them know we're selling condoms and we're doing this for them. It's not for the guys, for, for them. Of course, the girls would like, what the heck are you talking about? Get out of here. Right. But then the boyfriend will come over and say, Hey, so about those condoms. <laughs> so, you know, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't say anything to us, the girls, but they would send their boyfriends to hey, just go buy condoms. Right. 
So uh, we made a pretty good business out of it. And we were really proud to say that there were no pregnancy. So you're <laughs> in, in, in a graduation <laughs> class. So, so at, a, at an early age, you find yourself hustling. That's a strange mix. Um, we talk about supply chain management. You're distributing condoms and selling orange juice. Um, so, and you know, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, and, and you know, I mean, I was I while I sold different products, I was the same way yeah. growing up. Did a lot of different things. Um, so you realize that at an early age that entrepreneurship agreed with you. Yeah. Um, work through some supply chain management yes. problems. Yes. All right. So now I, I, I'm sensing that you're, you're, you're most of us at that age are now feeling it. We're like, I knew by that age that I was a hustler. Yeah. When I just say hustler, I was good at selling things. I was entrepreneurial. I was always looking at like, what can I buy? What can I sell? What can I do? What can yeah. I market? This and this and that. So that ends up bringing you here. Yeah. Later on down the yeah. road. So, and, and I, and this is, and, and so you then came from Venezuela to the United States as a college yeah. student. I did. I did. So, so I think, you know, what, when you refer to hassler, I think we are, we all are hasslers. The thing is, do we want to face it or not? At oh, I own point, it. I, I, I admit yeah. it openly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, but a lot of people don't. Yeah. Right? A lot of, yeah, yeah. But, but they have it inside themselves. Yeah. It's just, it's just, you know, sometimes the convenience and the comfort is, is too great to go ahead and disrupt. And hasslers, like what you refer to, right, is, you know, comfort and convenience sometimes is, it's too difficult to bear. It's just too boring. It's just, you know, so we, we look for, for what else, you know, what else can I do that will put me on the edge and will make me figure out what's on the other side of, you know, of that edge or that take that turn. But instead of being concerned about what's out there on, you know, around the corner, maybe I won't do it. We, we just like, I want to see what's out there. We just go and take that turn. Right. Sure. So well, uh, I compare that to some, you know, sometimes you jump and then build wings. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and you know, you kind of did that. It's funny you talk about selling condoms or whatever. Sometimes you got, I mean, it's hard to sell stuff you don't have. Right. So sometimes you have to, you know, procure some inventory. You may have gone a little, um, and no pun intended here, a little deep with <laughs> the inventory procurement. <laughs> um, so, um, and, and back to the induction. So, you know, a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people realize, or maybe they do. So I, you know, at full scale, we employ a lot of people that are not, uh, they're not U.S. citizens. Um, they live in the Philippines. We have an office in Cebu City in the Philippines. And they do a lot of work for a lot of people that are here. And a common question that I get from people or potential clients, they say, well, what if I want to bring these people over here to train with us? And we take that as as really being matter of fact, as if that's really easy to do. Yeah, and it's not. It's not. It's actually really difficult. Like the ability for me to, all right, let's just say a client has a team of ten people. If they really wanted to bring all ten of them over here for two weeks of training and stuff like that, that's actually pretty difficult. It's it, extremely difficult. It depends yeah. on what country you're coming from, and there's mm -hmm. different rules and there's different things. And as a U.S. citizen holding the passport that we hold, we have almost like magical powers Yes, when it comes to being able to enter 
exist, function, and do things in foreign countries, but it is not reciprocal. Correct. So from you first came here from Venezuela as a college student, right? Correct. So that well, was a student visa, a little yeah. easier to procure, right? Uh, still extremely difficult, but, but actually I, I came here with a visitor's visa. Okay. So I, I went and applied for uh, the, the American embassy in Caracas, Venezuela yep. for a student visa and they denied the visa. See, and that's my point exactly. Yeah. Like, was there a reason for it? Or Well, yeah. The reason is as a student, international student, you typically pay around three times more in tuition. And then on top of that, you have to pay that you have to have an account with not just that, but also all the cost of living for a full year. Mm. Right. So and depending on where you're going, that might be a lot. Correct. Exactly. So, and I'm not completely familiar with the, the economic differences between the United States and Venezuela, but I'm going to make the assumption it's a lot more expensive here. Oh, correct. Yes. So the income that you require in a foreign country to pay your bills and exist and live, mm -hmm. like it's usually not in the same comparison. So being able to accumulate that money Correct. To have not only the tuition, but your 12 months of expenses, is yes. it makes it really difficult unless you're from a wealthy family. Correct. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So you could be very talented, but you don't come from a wealthy family. And then most likely uh, your visa will get denied. Now, that doesn't mean that it should stop you. There are other ways, right, to figure out programs that will sponsor a very smart kid and stuff like that. But at the time I came as a so, so they denied my student visa request, right? Which it was like a six month process just to get the appointment. Then you bring all your paperwork to the, to the embassy and you are in line for hours and finally it's your turn. And this guy just look into my eyes and says, nah, you just want to stay there and live in, in the U.S. Denied. I mean, he didn't even ask questions, right? Or anything. So I'm completely heartbroken and he does a big denied on the paper, but he didn't do it on the on my tourist visa. And then I'm, I see an opportunity right there, right? I'm like, okay, this guy did not or denied my student visa and put a big denied on a, on another part of the passport that wasn't on on the on my visitor's visa. So. I called the college that I wanted to go to, which I didn't speak any English at the time, uh, zero. So, um, and what I wanted to study at first was English as a second language. So, and, and I wanted to go to New York or LA, obviously that was not possible. That was, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year, something like that for somebody like me. And I didn't have that kind of money, you know, selling condoms was good and orange juice was great, but <laughs> not to that level. Right. So, um, so I, I, I had my savings. I'd been savings for like three years and I told all my friends and family members, I'm going to move. I'm going to leave the country. I see that uh, I need to see the world and, and I want to know what it looks like. And I want to put myself on uncomfortable situations and see if I can overcome that. Nobody believed me. Nobody, you know, nobody thought that at the beginning they thought, oh yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Good, good idea. Right. But then I would. I, mean, I, would, I think. A lot, I think it probably. My my guess would be that a lot of people were saying that. Yeah. And they'd say it a lot, and then most of them, it probably never became or becomes a reality. Right. 
exactly. Yeah. So it's like imagine Bezos saying, "I'm going to build a website where I'm going to sell absolutely everything, and I'm going to disrupt all the markets." And yeah, You're like, sure, sure, sure you are. Great. Here. Here, here. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with that, right? But anyway, so it's it's similar, you know. Even the people that love you at the beginning, they go, "Yeah, sure, we, we want to encourage you, and that's great. You know, follow your dreams; it's good." But then there's a point where they're like, "He's not going to do it," right? And I would hear my parents saying to their friends, "He's just not going to go anywhere. We're fine here. He's going to go to college in Valencia, which is where I raised was raised. We had an apartment there, and I mean, he's just going to be fine. He's going to stay here, right?" So, so that that bothered me. So I kept you know, saving money, working as hard as I could, you know, mowing yards for all my neighbors, still with the other two businesses, with my friend. We were selling T-shirts, too. We were doing a bunch of things to, you know, for me to get money, I guess. Well, that was my goal. So visa is denied. The stu- the the the, uh, the request is denied. The tourist visa that I, I had was not denied, which is what he intended to do. But he, he put the big denied somewhere else. So um, so I called the college here in Kansas City. And by the way, it was Kansas City because a friend of mine, a guy that used to work for my dad, kept saying, hey, I have a friend in Kansas City. He can help you out. I'm like, why would I go to Kansas City? You know, we have plenty of cows here where we live. Yeah, I'm not going there. But You know, I never, I lived in Kansas City my whole life, pretty much, and I don't really ever see cows. I know, exactly, it's right? It's a city here. Yeah. Exactly. I know, it's it's a city. I've had people when I've traveled overseas and they hear Kansas or Kansas City, they're like, so there's cowboys. I'm yeah, like, yeah, exactly. no, yeah. no, 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 I never see cowboys yeah. either. Yeah. Yeah, unless you go to yeah. those very specific bars. Yeah, you well, know? sure. You got to go looking for them. Yeah, you got to go uh-huh. look at, you know, and, and it's great, but you don't see, yeah, right? But it is the perception. Now, so, but now, so now you're headed to Kansas City, which by the way, at the time, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people that have moved to a lot of different places and it's easier to get to places like Kansas City because yes. it's not the expense that New right. York has. Exactly. And also, um, there's a big demand in line. Don't they let, isn't part of it, part of it, like they're going to let so many people relocate to New York, LA or whatever. Like some of the cities are actually easier to get into for purposes of expense, but also yeah. that there's not a huge demand or line. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've actually talked to, I've actually now. talked to people in different um, cities and that have come from other places. And I would say, well, why did you choose here? The line was shorter. Oh, so uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, who could knows? Be, could okay. Be. So, so here you're yeah. now you see a crack and you have an opportunity yes. to make it to Kansas city. So I show up here to Kansas with our city. cowboys and our cows. Right. I show up to Kansas city with uh, about $2,000 and I pay the first 1200 bucks to, to go to college and enroll myself in an English program, English as a second language. So you can't, you came here, you had $2,000. Yeah. Two grand total. Total. No job, no income. No job, no income. And you came here as a visitor. As a visitor. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, you were only supposed to stay for so long, right? You're supposed to stay for six months. Okay, that's actually Top. a long time. That's yeah, a, that's not, not okay. So during that time, you were then it, you did enroll. Yeah, and okay. I and I had to figure out what to do and how to extend my stay. Right. So I had to figure out and what to just, do. With- and you also just spent sixty percent <clears throat> of your available money. Yeah. On school. Correct. So, and I didn't have a car and I lived in Lenexa and college was in KCK. Uh, And for those of you not from here, that's about 30 minutes away. Yeah. Yeah, So I had about a 30 minute span with no public transportation from one place to the other. Yeah. 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 So I had to figure out transportation too. 
So I took a, a taxi the first day. Right, it cost well, me forty five dollars. Say expensive, yeah. I think it was forty five dollars. Yeah. So I show up to the college, you know, at forty five dollars less, right? And I'm like, today before I go home, first of all, I don't know how I'm gonna get back to where I'm staying, right? Because I can't pay another forty five bucks. So somebody's gonna have to give me a ride. So I'm gonna have to convince somebody, figure out who has a car from and his you, place. And you don't speak English. I don't speak English. <laughs> And I show up to 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 the school, right? And they're like, "Okay." I think the question, well, what's your name? And I said, "I'm from Venezuela." And they right away pointed to the classroom number one, and they're like, "Okay, you go there." <laughs> like the most basic, you know, class. And I'm like, "Okay, now." And this is literally like kindergarten English, yeah, yeah right? exactly, exactly. Yeah. They were teaching me the colors, the numbers, the, right. yeah, all that. So that's how that's how it started. But uh, but then I met a, a guy there who had a car. I said, hey, "Could you give me a ride?" And and he was another entrepreneur. The guy and the guy's like, "I'll give you a ride today, but do you need me to pick you up tomorrow?" Like, that would be awesome. Amazing. It's like, it's like thirty dollars, yeah. thirty dollars a week, and I'll pick you up and I'll drop you off. Okay, there you go. So sounds like a pretty good deal. So it was a pretty good deal. Yeah. So. so <laughs> So right away, I solved a problem. I solved it. I'm assuming this was another Spanish speaking. Yes. Okay. So yeah. that makes sense for you yeah. too. All right. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, so so long story short, you know, every every single thing was new to me. The first time I saw a person that I knew here in Kansas City from my life, you know, before I moved here, was two years later. Every every interaction with every person. Every street, every everything was new to me for two years. And not only that, all right, so you talk about, all right, so when I traveled to the Philippines in Cebu, Cebu is, I, I refer to it as being very user-friendly yeah. for Americans because all the signs, everything's in English. Now, when I was in Belarus last yeah. year, not the case. Right. Most people don't speak English. Nothing is written in English unless you're in like the Hilton. So, I mean, and, and I got a taste of that, nothing like what you went through, but like my taste was, I went to the mall and I walk up and I start talking to someone. They're just looking at me like, basically like, yeah, what, what, what the fuck did you just say? Exactly. Cause I don't speak English. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And it like all of a sudden, like, and that was really at, at that point and here I am, I'm in my early forties at this point, that was really the first point in my life where I was ever really somewhere. And I really had the thought, I was like if I really needed to communicate with someone here, yeah, I would have a very difficult time. Now, fortunately there were enough people still like a lot of people. English. If you speak English, it's easy, easier to find other people around the world that seem to speak English. Yeah. But I, you know, now if you put yourself in that situation, like the, I doubt there's any, many people at all that speak Spanish in Belarus. Exactly. It's like a Russian country, but yeah, that feeling of, of kind of like going, wow, I could get, I could, I could probably just, disappear here <laughs> and it might take someone a while to find me and i would imagine that you felt that way most days oh yeah it, it's funny that you say that that's how it so later on i found a job i started uh working as a bass boy at, at a restaurant here classic cup cafe on the plaza okay right and uh so i would finish school at one o'clock and i had to get to my job at four o'clock and for that, I you know it took me like two hours in public transportation from KCK to the plaza. 
and or maybe hour and a half. And, or and so by the way, once again, for those of you not in Kansas yeah. City, we don't have a very efficient public transportation exactly. system, exactly. if it even exists. Everybody has a car. Everybody has a car, and things are really spread out here. So it's not like you, you know you typically it's a ways from one right. point to the next, and then in the, and then Kansas is split by in two states, and in Missouri they have better public transportation than they do in Kansas, and sometimes yeah. you got to be in both places. So, exactly, and, and not ideal. Was, and that was my case. I lived in one state, in the state of Kansas, but mm-hmm. I worked in the state of Missouri. And the area where I lived in, in the in the Kansas side was, was you know, kind of, uh, uh, it was somewhat of a bad area at the time. Um, and um, and I worked at this place, really nice, you know, country club plaza, this restaurant as a bass boy. And I worked long hours. And I would leave, I would get out of there around, 10:30, I think, and I had I had to take the last bus that would drop me off in the downtown of Kansas City, in the Missouri side, and then pick take the last bus that would take me to Kansas City, Kansas, on the Kansas side, and then I had to walk around, uh, I think like 20, 23 blocks, um, a couple miles, yeah. yeah, in the middle of the night, you know, kind of in, you know. <laughs> It, it was a scary town, and what what you're saying, I mean, I could easily disappear here. Yeah. That's how I felt every night. I mean, not to mention, and let's throw the realist part of this is like, I mean, here you are walking around. It's mm-hmm. admittedly not the greatest part of town, right? But imagine that you got hassled occasionally. Yeah. What are you but, doing here? I know. <laughs> Why are you? What, what What are you up to? I'm just trying to walk home, but if you speak nine words of English, right? Yeah. I would imagine now, now, but here's the thing is like, you speak four languages now. So at some point yeah. you didn't speak, you spoke Spanish, but you didn't speak Italian, maybe no. Portuguese. No. no okay. No. Cause Portuguese is the native language of Brazil, right? Yeah. Correct. Okay. So there were a lot of people probably in the, in Venezuela and. No, really. They, those are next door to each other. Aren't yes. They? Yes. Okay. So you, we do have a big population from Portugal. Yeah. And, and, but they all speak Spanish. There. Right. So it's not that, I mean, I would hear Portuguese and, and the same thing with Italian. I would hear those languages, yeah. but I didn't speak them. Not, not common here. Yeah. So, so, all right. So, and cause like I said, the, the kind of what we're, we're going with here is trying to give, you know, on Startup Hustle, we're always trying to give you a story or a topic or information. And there's so many entrepreneurs that have come from somewhere else. And, you know, like, hey, here's the reality. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a middle-aged white guy that lives in the suburbs. I haven't, I didn't, these, these kind of challenges are not, not things that I ran into. They were, I've always lived in this, I've always spoken English. I'm a yeah. terrible linguist. I failed Spanish in high school. <laughs> so bad. But you think about what you're now having to overcome. So at some points along the way, so, all right, so you have a job and you're in school. How fast did the adoption of the English language occur? And did you use things like your job to try to learn more yes. and accelerate that? That's exactly right. So that's why I chose Classic Cup Cafe on the Plaza, actually. I chose, but, you know, they hired me. But, sure. I, but I was looking for places where I, I, would, I would be forced to speak English. And I had a yeah. little notebook that would fit in my back pocket with a little pencil. And I carried that thing everywhere. And I would ask you questions and you would tell me something. I would tell you just, I would ask you to write it down or to tell me how to spell it. And people sometimes, people, one thing that I found out is that it's, it's innate on, on humans to be good to others. Yeah, sure. If 
you are asked respectfully. Yeah. And in that, you know, that was a key to me. If I, if I am good to this person and this person can see that he or she can help me because in, and I'm respectful to, you know, to them that they will help me out. And in most cases, 99%, 98% of the time, people would do something good for somebody else. So I would do that and I would carry this little note pad, right? And I would make sure the next time I saw that person, that person knew that I learned from what he or she sure. taught me. Good way to good way to get to you know, this reminds me a lot. So when I uh I used to live in Colorado, I lived there for four years, live in Durango, and the whole time I worked there I was a bouncer. So I worked at the door of different bars, but with that, some of these bars had restaurants and different things. And at one of the places there was, uh, um, I can't even remember where the guy was from, but he was a Spanish speaking, you know, he worked in the kitchen and he would come up and uh, do kind of like what you're talking about. Yeah. He would talk to me for a few minutes just yeah. here and there, but he was always asking me, how do you say this? Or, or asking just different things. And, and, but you saying that like he was, he was respectful and I could tell like he just wanted to learn and like, yeah. I don't know, he just wanted, I mean, really in the end, he just wanted to do better for himself. Right. And I appreciated that. Like I never really thought, I haven't thought about that for man a, a really long time, but he'd come and sometimes, you know, and occasionally he'd just like have something and he'd be pointing at it. Yeah, you know, exactly. You'd, you'd say like, I don't, you'd say, I don't know that's yeah. you say it like this or whatever it yeah. was or and different stuff. But, um, yeah. And, and, but then the interesting thing was, is, um, um, one day he was just gone. Oh, he was just gone. And I didn't know where, and I, I saw one of the other guys I saw him with the used to see him with regularly. And he had just left. Like yeah. he just one day just left. He went back yeah. to where he was from. Yeah. I don't know if that was forced or something else, but he was oh. there and then he wasn't. Yeah. So, so a lot of these guys too, that, I would work around and there was a, a large pot. So, and that was Southwest Colorado, so, which is actually pretty close to Mexico. Like you're one state away. So yeah. there was a, a, a lot of, um, of Latino population, but most of those folks were there working and they would send all of their money home. Yes. Uh, I mean, literally like 90% of their money they were yeah. sending home too, because yes. it made such a significant difference there. So I wasn't really confused on many levels, like how they were even yeah. surviving and paying to get by. So yes. it was definitely yes. a struggle. Okay, so you're learning words. So yeah, so I'm learning words. You're in school. Yep. Yes, I and am. Now, did you make it? I'm assuming you're you're moving to studying things other than English at some point. I did. I did at some point. So then I went to Johnson County Community College. But, here but wait a minute. But, yeah. After six months, how did you end up? How did we skip that part? Yeah, I don't want to skip that part. So because I think that's the interesting part. Because you were here on a visitor pass. Yes. Which means you either got a student visa or you just stayed. Yeah. So. I or got, both. Yeah, or both, right? Yeah. It, so I got, and it, it was somewhat of both, actually. Uh, I got what is called an F-1 visa. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, the F-1 visa is a student visa, but they give you a, a well, gosh, I forgot the, the number. So it's easier to get a student visa once you're already a student here, right? It's somewhat a little, yes. It's got to be a little bit easier. It's easier. Think, yeah. It's easier. And okay. that's what I have figured out. You know, this guy will deny it, but if the college give me these uh, and I forgot the F-12, I think, uh, which is the form that they fill out requesting or basically saying the school wants this student to, to study here. Okay, sure. Right. So, and then so you I, have an endorsement. Yeah, I have, yeah, like an endorsement. And then I use, uh, I applied for an extension of my 
state, which they can grant it. And because I had this F12, they granted it for another six months, I think. But by December, I had to go back to Venezuela. And I did. Right. So and, and so now you've gone back and you don't know if you're even going to be able to come back. Correct. OK. Correct. So I don't even know if I'm going to be able to come back. Um, and I, I, I don't remember. I didn't have to go to the embassy, I think. Because the F-12 or gosh, yeah, I think it's F-12, the form. I can't remember right now. But actually, I buy my ticket. I come through Miami. I get, you know, through customs. I'm at customs and they sent me to this little room. They said, you, you got to go there, dude. There's something fishy here with your paperwork, right? And um, so I had the cash to pay for my next uh, semester and part of my living expenses, right? Or most of it, I think. You were probably, I would imagine you were a little nervous at that oh, point. Oh, extremely yeah. nervous. Yeah. Extremely nervous. Um, first of all, uh, you know, when I went back to Venezuela, that first year had been so rough. Everything new, everything so difficult, so out of my comfort zone um, that I really wanted to stay in Venezuela, but I didn't want to let my parents down. But my parents, I thought they were going to say, stay here with us. And they actually said, because they didn't want me to leave the first time, right? They, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I will support you. But honestly, they didn't want to. Um, but then at that time, they were like, okay, you definitely made the right decision. You know, this country is becoming really rough for young people. So and now you're thinking, man, I think I might want to stay here. I and they're saying, no, you did the right thing. You did the right thing. And, and we go back. And for purposes of time, we don't have to get yeah. into it. But Venezuela's had a lot of instability with not only, I believe, their, yes. their political leadership, but also just like their economic. Oh, yeah. Then they devalued their money at some point. Yes. There's issues with oil and just stuff like that, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, the inflation is over is in the thousands. Right. Uh, and um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, scarcity is humongous, and yeah, the struggles are very real. And and so, I, when I when I made the move here, was definitely the right time, uh, not knowing that the you know the, the buckle was coming, sure. but but it did. So, but, but but now you're stuck in a room in the Miami yeah. airport and yeah. probably going, oh shit, am I about to? Right. Are they going to send me right back? Oh yeah, they were, and that, that's what they said. You're going back. You you want to stay here, and uh, your your paperwork is not is not complete. You should have gone to the embassy and get the F one visa there. Or, you know the student visa. Did they send you back? And and they they were going to. And then one guy, uh, kind of the the lead um, custom person, you know, comes to me and 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 says, "Look at me, look in my eye, look at me in the eye, and tell me what is it really that you want." what do you want to do here? Um, and I said, well, what I really, really want is to finish my English. You know, be able to pass the TOEFL test, which is what you really need to be able to go to college, right? I want to improve my English. That's, that's really my goal. And the guy says, all right, show me all that money you got there. And he does the math and he makes a phone call and he calls the, the college um, that day and somehow they get hold of one of the teachers or something um, and the guy asks is he a good student does he show up is he is he really which by the way they don't do this this yeah. is this is not a typical right. this guy I think normally they just say they point and 
back yeah. in the direction you came from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's it. But because by the way, there's a lot of people that yeah that are getting turned away. Yeah. And that's actually like when you travel, that's why they're so persistent about, do yeah. you have this? Do you have that? Do you have all that? Because these countries don't want you showing up on their, on their, on the shore. And yeah. now it's a problem. Yeah. So, so this guy, this guy at this point is, is, and do you even know his name? No. But think about it. Like that guy changed yes. your, is about to change your life one way or the other. And he did. Right. And he did. And I think of him quite often. And I, and I pray for him and I, I think this, I mean, this guy changed my life, right. right? He gave me an opportunity. He saw something on me and he went out of his way because in, in, I, in, in my, in my head, I also think that this guy somehow thought that I was, I was worth it. You sure. Know, I was worth it. Which is weird. Cause at that point, like realistically, I mean, let's, you know, I always like to, to, I consider myself a realist. There's a reality of everything. Guys in those jobs, they're running into a lot of bullshit and a lot of people. There's a lot of people showing up that, I mean, that, Mm -hmm. that you're in and you know, like, it's just, you're just another number at that point. And they're trying to do their job. So that this point, this guy has a gut feeling or something. Maybe he senses like, I don't know, like there's a weird, like you can't really explain the gut. Exactly. You know, but he clearly sees it. And now, but think of also back to the reality. It's easier for this guy to just point and say, go back. He didn't even have to do anything. The right. decision he didn't have had to do been anything. made. You know, he's calling, he, right. It's been made. He's calling colleges, getting a hold of teachers, stuff like yeah. that. What do you think, what do you think made, what do you think made him do that? You know, I think it's what you said. Is that gut feeling had, by you, looking you at me a, and he thought, you know, this guy's different. I think, I think is what he <laughs> thought. Um, this guy is, is just different. But and, think about the questions he was asking. Is he a good student? Does he show up? He yeah. just wants to see if you care. If I care. If you're here, if you want. And, and honestly, that guy's really good at his job. Yes. Yes. Cause he wants to make sure you, you want to come in for the right reasons. Cause yeah. let's be realistic. A lot of people don't. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of people are full of it, but, and we'll get to this here in a minute, but that was clearly a good decision because you've actually become a very successful business person here. Yeah. But um, all right. So he lets you in. Yeah. And now what? He lets me in. Not only lets me in, he approves the visa right there and there in front of me. He's the manager. He's the, you know, whatever it is. The, the, so when he approves that, he now approves how much it. time do you get? Is uh, that or Two is, years. Oh, two that's years. a lot. Okay. I that, get two years of oh, man. visa. All I have to do is did you cry study. After, did you cry oh afterward? Yes. I would have. Yes. I, I, I missed my flight, my <clears throat> connecting flight, obviously. And I oh, had well. to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm in. I'm, yeah, yeah. I can stay here. I can go back to. That's a big window compared to like six months. Yes. I mean, you get a lot done in two years. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You, you get you get a two year um, visa, student visa. Right. And you have to. But I think every year you have to get the paperwork that the college has to sign off. Who cares? You're good. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. So I came, right? I, I'm, I, I, so I, I'm here. I'm learning English. I jumped in my English classes from, there were five levels, and I jumped from level one to level four in just one year. Um, so because I was studying every day. Yeah. I mean, that's all I was doing. Well, I, I think go, at some point I would imagine that two-year window also, like, I mean, that removes the having to always think about that. It may have, did it, did it create a feeling of permanence, even though it wasn't? 
like um, you say, Hey, I don't, I, I have time. I can do this. Like, right. I don't have to worry in six months. I got to do this again. Cause you could have actually left and then come back right during that two year window. Like now yeah. without approved, like you can travel back and forth between yeah, yeah. home mm -hmm. and, Correct. and so many people I know that have come from, from other countries, they're insecure about doing that on some right. levels. Cause getting back is always the challenge. Like there's Correct. so many stories and issues and things that could right. come up, but now you actually have a green, right. that green approved stamp, which yeah. you're, you, yeah. you don't have to wait in embassy lines and do other crap. Right? right. For that period of time. So, so just to give you an idea, that was 1995 when I came here it was 1996 when I got, you know, that student visa. And it was 2009 when I was able to become citizen. And between 2000, uh, 1995 and 2009, I was sent to the little room. I don't know how many times. I mean, so many times. Because as you're changing status, it all also creates red flags. And then we had 9-11 at one point, and I yeah. was a student. True. And, you know, they did not renew my student visa because it's 9-11 and all the students are being looked into, you know, very, you know, what the country had to do at that time. Then I'm in limbo. Uh, I mean, it, the, I, I was picked up at work by immigration one time, basically. They come over here, handcuff me, you know, you coming with us. And then I had to go in front of a judge and present my case. And I was in deportation removal or whatever process is. I know, I know the immigration law in this country. Like, I mean, it's I would unbelievable. Imagine, yeah. But, but I had to go through so much. And, and then you know, it's basically you have to leave the country, or you can apply here and go in front of a judge and, you know, present your case. And I did, and presented my case. And it took a long time, close to a year, I guess, pre preparing for my case. Of, in which I couldn't study, I couldn't work, I couldn't do anything here. But I had met, you know, love of my life, my wife, and we were dating, and she's American, and she says, you know what, let's, this, we'll get through this together. Um, and uh, so we did. We did. It was, it was nerve-wracking because if, if it doesn't get approved, what do we do? I mean, she, you know, she loved me and I loved her and we wanted to be together. What, what, how do we do? We move to another country. What do we do? Right. But anyway, we, we got through it. Um, but before that, before then, you know, just, and I know because of time, maybe you want to cover a lot more stuff, but, but before I met her, you know, when, when I was, I got my student visa, was going to college, I did it again. I, I moved to Italy in a very similar way, a little better prepared you know, paid for an apartment too, uh, with roommates there. And here in the States, I had roommates from all over the world through, through my time here, my beginnings from South Korea, from Mexico, from Turkey, from, you know, Americans from everywhere, right. Always moving, figuring out, you know, new friends and moving to a better area or whatever it could be. But at one point I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this again. And I moved to Italy. And I, it, it, the struggles were very similar. It was the same thing showing up in the morning to a class and asking me, you know, where are you from? And I'm, or what's your name? And I'm responding, I'm from Venezuela, something like that. And they're like, okay, you go to that little classroom right there. I, you go with the kids. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I did that again um, in Italy. And then Brazil, I already spoke Portuguese at, at the time, um, had already picked it up between here in the States and in, in Italy. Um, 
that was a little easier and, and shorter in term. But then when I came back, you know, I had the, the struggles of immigration again uh, with work visa, student visa, and all that. Um, then got married, and you know, and uh, did that make it easier at that point? Yes, it did. At that point, uh, at that point, made it a lot easier. And now you get into a different process in which, well, you just need to stay married. Right. And well, so you've gone through, you went through the visitor visa process, the yeah. student visa process, then work visa. there was a gap in there, the work visa process. Yeah. At some point they literally, you had to go to court and make your case. Yeah. And at this point you've been in the country for 15 years. Close to that. 10, yeah. 15 years. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Like, wow. And, yeah. and still dealing with that. Yeah. Um, and you know, you talk about like the political and, and, just the general turmoil, like nine eleven. Yeah, you 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 didn't have anything to do with that, <laughs> but the ripple effect of some of that yeah. stuff comes in, like some of the things too. And like, I don't even know if we have enough time to even talk, get into oh, the yeah. blue point thing. But but this is but this is actually, I think, is is really interesting because so many you know we have a lot of listeners that are international. Um, yeah, I looked at some statistics this morning in the last third. So we've had people listen to this from 176 countries. Wow, that's amazing. And in the last month, it was like something like 75. Um, so, I mean, it's still regular that people are listening from all over, but I would imagine that some of them listen because they're curious about like, what do I need to do? I want to go there. I want to do this. I yeah. want to do that. And, and I think that it's important for us for, you know, being in the United States to also like consider, well, A, I've never had to contend with any of these things. Well, None of this stuff was ever a challenge for me. And, and think about how much, how much more difficult it is for some of those that you interact with to get to where, the, you know, like, okay, you getting to whatever point yeah. was way more difficult than it was for me here. Cause I didn't, cause all these things are distracting. They're expensive. They're time consuming, you know, like, and then, then other things too. It's like, you just look at little things. I think that we take for granted as well, like opening a bank account. Yeah. Exactly. Or people are like, what's your social security number? I don't have one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stuff like that. You know, like, yeah. uh, well, you can't, you can't do anything here, sir, unless yeah. you have a social security number. Yeah. Okay. How do I make that happen? I know. You know, you just like, I mean, and, and I've, I've gained a little respect for that because, you know, we own a business in the Philippines, but as an American now, I actually, we actually experienced like, uh, mm -hmm. Matt and I were, were, uh, um, were, you know, as we opened our operation in the Philippines, we actually had a bank turn us down oh, yeah. for being <laughs> American. And, and, uh, and I got it. I mean, maybe I'm just like spoiled or like, yeah. used to, but I was, and, and they, and our employees over there, they came back and they told us that. And I said, excuse me. Uh, they said, yeah, they, uh, they only will have, they only want X percentage of their accounts to be Americans. Yeah. And I said, what the fuck? Like, for real? Like, my money's the same color? Like, let's, I mean, I'm trying to put a lot of it in. And they said, well, we can go back. I said, no, I don't even want to do business yeah. at that bank. But yeah. that was, I mean, and here I am once again in my early 40s. That was really the first time that that I had experienced that. Um, you know, since then, you know, we've I've now participated in owning, uh, uh, opening or operating businesses in Belarus, the United okay. States, the Philippines. But as we consider our own, you know, expansion yeah. and the different things that we do, like we looked at things and we're like, okay, we're already in the Philippines. It's yeah. way easier to just branch out and expand there than it would be to now 
open an office in Venezuela, right. Brazil, Argentina, some of those things that, right. that, you know, that aren't in 13 different time zones. Right. No way. But yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's interesting. And I think that really what we did here yeah. is we, we, you know, you told a story like, I mean, and I know we brought, we brought you in, we were going to talk about the company you started and I still <laughs> want to do that. By the way, you can go to blue point too. That's the number com. <laughs> But I, I think that this real, like I said, was a really interesting story just to give a little bit of perspective about, you know, like I said, you just, it's easy to look at people at, that have art that you're like, oh, wow, that guy did great. And he's not from here. You're like, whoa. But like, for real, it's almost like you need a multiplier on that success factor because the amount of bullshit and, and yeah. hurdles and obstacles and things you have to climb over. And you just even talk about other things too, like. Coming here, two thousand bucks. Twelve hundred of it goes to, well, twelve hundred of it goes to school. Fifty of it goes to a cab ride to school. Yeah. Now you're down to seven hundred and fifty bucks. Think about that. Like, yeah. you don't speak the language. You had a place to live at that point. I'm yeah. assuming just like being a roommate or someone. I had some, a place to stay, and I no had, job, no income. No job. Yeah, and I had that, to pay this guy. I can't remember now if it was like 400 bucks a month he was charging me to, to sleep on his couch you're, you're broke <laughs> yeah. you're broke the moment you got here then yeah and you know like i think that you know we talk about being bootstrapped yeah i mean that that's pretty much the story of it so and we don't have enough time to get too far into it but i mean really the the way that that this resolves is you know you've done a lot of really interesting things you've worked for um, you know, you've, you've been successful in designing, managing, building, scaling different technical solutions and sales operations for five fortune 500 companies, you know, mid-sized startups in the middle East, Europe, Latin America here in the U S and, you know, just like continuing to do that. Um, and now, now at blue point two, you're, um, you're creating technical and medical innovations that, yeah. that you want to give us a couple minutes about what yeah. you're doing there and where, I mean, where did the, all this end up coming yeah. to? Yeah, definitely. So, so yeah, no, no, great. It's, um, so I worked for, for at one point, finally, I was able to get into, uh, uh, I worked for multiple companies here in Kansas city, you know, but, uh, you know, DST systems lock line, which part of Lockton at the time. And then, then I found a job at Cerner and with, with that, I, I think I developed, um, I developed a lot of respect and also a lot of uh, uh, desire to really work in healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so I worked at Cerner for about eight years, seven, eight years, and I grew my career very fast at Cerner. Uh, every year I was getting promoted almost, um, but it, it was a it was a wonderful. Um, career and great time. Some of my really good friends that are still my good friends is from my time at Cerner. So uh, I have a lot to, uh, to thank Cerner for. And, uh, and then I went and worked for other companies, but I, I always knew that I, at some point I have to do my own thing. And, and I felt that everything that I had been doing in my life and all the challenges and all the good things uh, were training me for that moment when I could take a leap of faith and say, you know, I'm going to leave the comfort of a, of a good company and a good path to, you know, th that VP level, director level, that executive uh, level. Um, and and I, I need to do my own thing. 
And um, so, so in order just to get to Blue Point Two, uh, you know, let's start with the name Blue Point Number Two, right? When when you open your your map on your phone, right, and you you click on just to see where you are, you're gonna see a blue point. That's where you are now. The interesting thing is, what else? Where are you gonna to go to now? What is it that you're gonna do? And what we wanna do is with Blue Point Two on the medical field is whatever that next appointment is, whatever it is that uh, that care you need, we want to provide absolutely everything you need to be informed and ready and share that with the provider so they can also be informed and ready for you and take care of you. So from the forms, from the location that you need to go to, from um, you know uh, the instructions of what you need to do, medications you need to stop, how you prepare for your appointment, videos you need to watch, um, all of it, the transportation and, and so forth. So, so that's what we coordinate. And we coordinate that um, by leveraging other companies or working with other companies as partners. Uh, you know, uh, some of them are in the medical field like Cerner. Um, uh, we have a good relationship with Cerner, uh, Uber Health, you know, if you need a ride and you, you have to get to your appointment, but you don't have a ride and your appointment is a surgery, let's say, you know, how do you get there, right? For the hospital, the hospital wants to make sure you show up, mm -hmm. right? Um, so the hospital gladly will pay um, for that Uber ride just to get you there. Uh, from the transactional aspect, you know, how do we transact your payments? How do we make sure you're, you are aware of your financial responsibilities and that you can request a payment plan if you need to? from from um, our application. So, so that's what we have built, part of what we have built with um, Bluepoint 2 and our software viewpoint at uh, this moment. But it, but it wasn't easy to get there, right? Like you were saying, it's, 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 it's always rocky, right? So everything started when one day I decided, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm quitting my job. I, want a com I was working for a company out of San Diego and I'm going to start my own thing. So I'm running around my neighborhood and, uh, you know, I took a long run, uh, probably six, eight miles. I don't know. And I'm exhausted at the end. And, and all of a sudden, an idea popped on my head. Oh, my God. You know, I can do this and this would be a great software, right? So I get home and I get on a whiteboard that I have there and uh, I worked until like midnight. And then I wake up early and I go and meet a friend who owns a company, is a brilliant architect. Um, and I say, hey, I have an idea. Help me out with this. And we worked from like 8 a.m. until like 8 p.m. Just he and I on this room in front of this whiteboard designing this solution. And we figure it out. We figure out exactly what we needed to do, how it would work. Um, and then, you know, I start putting the marketing behind it. We started developing the solution. Um, and we basically developed almost to fullness uh, this, this solution. And now I take it to the market, right? And I go to the end users and I say, would you use this? Would you like this? And they all say, yes, and I love it. And that's exactly what we need. And I'm like, perfect. We are after something really good here. Now, could you buy it? And they say, well, I can't buy it. You know, <laughs> we love it, but we yeah. don't want to pay for it. Right? Well, my boss's boss is the one yeah. that needs to buy it. So, but I can make the introduction and tell him that I really want this. Oh, that's great. You know, and then short, you know, short after I found out that the people that care 
couldn't buy it and the people that could buy it didn't care about it. Yeah, that's not uncommon. <laughs> exactly. But uh, but I, mean, I had already developed a solution. That's, that's the sale, sales problem. You exactly. got to figure it out. And I wanted to sell it for $100,000 subscription a year, right? And a friend of mine who's a CIO at a hospital in, in, in the West Coast said he'll buy it, but only if I could do it within his discrete uh, budget or discretional budget. And I say, okay, let's do it because I just need people to start using this. What's your discretional budget? He says, $5,000. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's put it $4,990. And he says, deal, send it to me, I'll sign it. I send it to him. He calls me and says, I'm so sorry, Liam, I can't sign this. I know that it's within the discretional budget and I told you, but I really don't want this. Wow. <laughs> you know, I know my users say that they want it, but that's why I have them. So they can do this. I don't have to pay and automate this this piece. So I do. I did what any any human being would do, right? And that wasn't a Friday night. I was flying out from Baltimore. I remember at the airport in Baltimore, and I get home completely heartbroken, and uh, you know, think about it all night on Friday, all day on Saturday. What am I going to do now? Sunday day, Sunday night, I get a bottle of wine, sit on my patio you know, had the whole bottle of wine to myself, you know, had some tears. And I said, you know, tomorrow's another day. I have to reinvent myself again. All this software, I'm going to shelve it tomorrow. And I don't talk about it tomorrow. Tomorrow is I got to figure out the next idea. I got to work on the next thing, you know, and that's it. Showed up, um, talked to the developers on Monday morning and said, you know what? Thank you so much, but we're done. We're done with this software. I have to go and figure something else out. And talk to my partner you know, at, at that time, you know, that um, they helped me architect the solution and say, we're done. This is not, it's, it's not going to go anywhere. I have to go and figure out what's next. So I started doing services for hospital. And this approach was different. The next approach was instead of me coming up with an idea, I'm going to, I'm going to let people tell me what it is that they need. And I'm going to interrogate them. So I started working for hospitals. You know, I would walk the floors with the nurses, doctors, and I would do services that they would pay for in order for me to, you know, my knowledge basically in healthcare, right? And, and through that, I would learn from them. What is it that you really need? What is it that would be very helpful? And how would you be able to purchase something like that? Would you have signature power on that or not? And how are the electronic medical records going to take that? Is, are they going to see like competitors or these other companies? And, you know, what products exist today? And I started just doing that process, right? A very lengthy process, uh, although it was expensive, but I, I was getting paid for my services to be in these conversations with these, you know, uh, decision makers at the hospital levels. So uh, level. So I, I did that for quite some time until I figure out, okay, here is a good problem to solve and what you know I described as viewpoint. Uh, but now I need to go and see, is this a problem that everybody has? And then you have to see where is the market going? And there's a lot of guessing there, right? What's going to happen at the time, you know, the Affordable Care Act had just signed, is this going to you know, the, the rollout of meaningful use, which is, you know, part of what uh, 
dollars we're injecting into healthcare for technology? Is it going to affect this and so forth? So then you go through the regular, regular process of figuring out, do you have something that the market wants, right? Um, but it was different. It, at least I had a problem based on, on are they, do they want this? But now me developing something to then realize that the marketing wanted, right? I had not developed anything yet, but I was talking to, you know, healthcare providers out there and, you know, about this solution. And, and that's, that's what we did. And then we started just looking for organizations that would buy pieces of it, you know? Okay. So out of everything that we do here, you know, would, would you pay for the payment, payment processing app or the transportation app or the forms app, you know, or the texting communication with the patient and so forth. Um, so, and that's how we started funding our development. It has taken longer, right? But we haven't taken a penny from anybody. Right. So, um, so it's all, it's all uh, growing organically. And, uh, you know, a lot of it has been my own money and a lot of it has been, or most of it has been clients paying for the solution. So it's always that validation process that never ends, right? That even when, when you have 50 clients now, okay, how do I get to 250? And then, you know, things in many cases have to change. You're validating your application. You're validating who those new clients will be and you're adapting and morphing into to what the market expect, expects or wants. Um, so that validation process never ends and it has never ended in, in, in for us. Um, but yes, we, we're building something really neat. We have some good clients. We, we keep getting more contracts and better contracts. And uh, we grow our team very gradually, right? We don't want to grow up too fast when it comes to uh, headcount and, and expenses, right? We want to keep everything in check because we're still validating the market is telling us yeah we like what you have but uh show us more and we want to make sure that we show more before we you know we put more money into it but and and if you guys want to if you listening want to go check out what Leaderbin and bluepoint 2 does you can go to bluepoint it's the number two dot com Leaderman, thank you for coming in and telling us this interesting story um we uh um I mean, you know, like I said, if, for those listening, it's just it's just a, such a different reality to bring to import hustle <laughs> here into the state. So um, if you get a chance, you can always check us out on Instagram. We are at Startup Hustle Podcast. Lederman, thanks again for coming in. Matt, and thank uh, you so much. And we're gonna we're gonna keep up with the progress of Blue Point Two. Um, see you next time. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.